Welcome to Medicana Talk with Dr. Joe Rosado. This program seeks to educate you on topics having to do with medical cannabis. You'll have a better understanding of the industry, insight, and guidance on how cannabis is a safe and important innovation in medicine today. Now, here is your host, Dr. Joe Rosado. Hello, world. This is Dr. Joseph Rosado with Medicana Talk. From sunny Florida, which isn't so sunny today, it's raining pretty good out there. Anyway, uh, we've got an amazing guest today, and together with our guest, we've got Ed Pisani, our usual and customary co-host. Hello, world. From- <laughs> <laughs> go for it, Ed. Let me let me plug your business, Ed, from I4 Advertising. Now you can go, Ed. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening to whatever part of the world you're in. I'm glad you're listening. All right, let's rock and roll. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, um, have a chance to uh, have our guest today. She is a uh, big-time guest that uh, Dr. Rosado has been excited about, and I'm just getting my notes together. So it is um, really kind of useful that uh, everyone understands marijuana, why it's still prohibited throughout the world. Most um, people are unaware that some of the cannabis industry is turning to hemp to get a piece of the $340 billion market. Hemp is, uh, with its lower concentrations of THC and higher concentrations of cannabinoid. Now, believe it or not, I'm kind of a newbie in this industry. So saying these words, it's kind of cool. I'm starting to know what I'm talking about. It's cannabidiol, CBD. I tried. CBD (laughs) has been a big part of the wellness trend taking over the um, U.S. researchers estimated U.S. market uh, could possibly be worth uh, close to $7.5 billion by 2023. And that's through the hemp industry daily research, uh, which is kind of cool when you step back and you think about it. Uh, CBD is being marketed as a natural way to curb pain, anxiety, insomnia, and growing demand, which they're calling the new green rush versus the gold rush of the 1840s. So um, without further ado, I really am excited to introduce our guest today, Christine Nichols. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. So, Kristen, before we got on the air, you started sharing with us a little bit of your background, um, where you started, how you got involved in the cannabis industry. So, could I trouble you to repeat your story for our listeners, please? Sure. I just want to say I was a longtime agriculture reporter. I always covered agriculture and politics in a lot of different states. And uh, there's nothing better than the intersection of politics and agriculture than cannabis, right? So I'm in Colorado uh, around 2008-2009 when the marijuana industry really started taking off. Colorado approved medical marijuana Back in 2000, but it took a few years uh, for there to be stores and, uh, you know, storefronts and dispensaries, they call them here, um, to start popping up. And so I was interested in the plants and interested in what was going on. So it was an interesting um, thing, nexus to cover. So that's kind of how I got into it. I always say, no matter what you think about cannabis, it truly is the miracle drug of news. Because things would be pretty boring if it was about any other plant or any other consumer packaged goods down to the size of the font on the package. It's interesting if it's about cannabis. So that's kind of how I got into it. Here I am. It's uh, been uh, a decade or more, but it's still really interesting every day. That's cool. 
Now let's get right into it. Um, back in December of 2018, President Trump signed the uh, Farm Act of 2018. Prior to that, hemp was considered a controlled substance. So could you explain to us what the Controlled Substance Act is and does hemp fall or did it fall under that Controlled Substance Act? Hemp has always been in a weird place in American law, and, and that was the case before, right? Okay, so hemp was a, a, a common crop for um, settlers to grow when we were a colony, for a production colony for England. Um, oh, when we headed into the Industrial Revolution, we didn't need uh, sales and, as, you know, industrial rope as much anymore. Hemp kind of stopped being grown. Then uh, in the 1930s, to uh, go back into history, they started being concerned about this uh, devil's lettuce coming, you know, from Mexico, called it marijuana, and, and started to tax it. Um, but American farmers, it was legal to grow, but American farmers kind of stopped growing it by the 1950s because there just wasn't much market for it anymore. Then uh, we have the, the drug war era, and in 1970, Congress passes the Controlled Substances Act, that banned uh, the plant cannabis sativa, which is both uh, marijuana and hemp, um, and that didn't ban hemp. So you can still have rope and granola and hemp products, but you couldn't grow it. Um, and that was an interesting di distinction because it's hard to tell the difference between hemp and marijuana. It's the same plant. The only way to tell the difference is to run it through a spectrometer and to measure THC content. That was a lot of oversight for a crop that nobody was growing anyway, so they banned it in the 70s, banned growing it. Um, then uh, we, you mentioned earlier the CBD, people start, uh, people start noticing, hey, there's stuff in this hemp plant. You, you don't, can't just make rope out of it. There's things that aren't THC in here that are still pretty cool. People start making products with it, wanting, really pushing to see where this plant could go. So Congress in 2014, which is the previous Farm Bill, said, okay, states, if you want to look at this, you can start to experiment with it as long as it's controlled. So a bunch of states do, um, and this bunch of states start really seeing a huge market starting to build for these non-THC products you could get out of this plant. So um, uh, then uh, when it's time for Congress to take up the Farm Bill again, um, there was a lot of concern about like, hey, this is an exploding new market. Let's give farmers uh, some more opportunity to make some money. Uh, if you want to know why Congress legalized hemp, I say three words, tobacco state Republicans. Uh, you have a lot of interest <laughs> in the former tobacco states to find a replacement crop uh, for the decimated tobacco industry and all of this is also happening. Don't forget while American farmers are really struggling in a trade war against China falling, sitting on billions and billions of dollars of soybeans they can't sell, really low commodity prices in dairy, corn, all kinds of things that uh, so American farmers are really hurting for some new profit opportunity. Meanwhile, Congress sees this, this plant growing that's not getting anybody high. Seems like it has a lot of interesting market potential. So they signed it into law last year and off we go. You know, it's ironic so, that you mentioned about the soybeans because I used to live in eastern North Carolina, which was uh, ground zero of the sure. tobacco industry. And uh, they had soybeans growing everywhere. And um, I just could never understand who are they selling these soybeans to because it's not like something I hear on a daily basis of like all the wonderful things you can do with soy. 
Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of ironic that you bring that up. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, sure. That was kind of, you know, our, our, it mostly was China, right? Um, and be, supplying China with soybeans is kind of, like you said, all over this country, not just in North Carolina. You saw traditional commodities convert to soybeans over the last couple of decades as a response to this global uh, market we had. Um, and then pu- pulling the brakes on that, it's leaving the, you're, they're right, there's not a huge domestic market for soybeans like there is globally. So farmers are looking for some alternatives. Gotcha. So what's a major benefit for um, the legalization of hemp, for lack of a better term? Benefit to who? Benefit to the farmer, to the consumer? <laughs> to the All of the above, everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Well, see, right now, it seems like a win, 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 win for a lot of folks. Uh, farmers are seeing higher per acre prices. I think it's an open question how long that will last. There's a, a well-known agronomist at the University of Kentucky who says American farmers are so good they can grow the money right out of anything. And I think that's something important to consider as long as per acre yields and profits for anything uh, exceed other crops, everyone's going to switch to that crop. Another benefit uh, to hemp legalization has been uh, consumers, again, having access to uh, non-pharmaceutical preparations of a a thing that makes them feel better, addresses anxiety. Uh, You hear all kind of anecdotal evidence that people are getting a lot of benefits out of these products. Um, New opportunities for retailers, new opportunities um, for uh, processing and distribution. And one thing that you kind of brought up earlier, which is how this is a new opportunity for marijuana producers. Right now in this country, if you're in a state that allows medical or recreational marijuana or has something like it, you there every single state has enor- hoops and hoops and hoops and hoops and red tape and taxes every which way if you want to be in that business. But hemp faces just a fraction of that. So let's say um, you are a black market marijuana grower. Now you want to be a legal marijuana grower, but you're paying six figures a year in taxes, fees, and, you know, just to participate. Then you see, oh, hey, here's a new version of this plant, which I can grow just as well. And I don't face any of that crap, or I face a lot less of that red tape. You can see why it's a big opportunity for the black market to now become legal, avoid legal headaches and taxes, and start growing this version of cannabis. Interesting. So when I first got into the cannabis industry, which was back in 2014, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, cannabis years are like dog years. So um, when I got involved at that time, and and I was purchasing over-the-counter CBD products, I was told that hemp cannot be grown in the U.S. at that time, and so they were bringing in hemp from uh, outside of the United States. Is that accurate, or was that misinformation? It's either one. It's both. Um, here's the thing. Um, it, it certainly has that has been true that you couldn't grow hemp, but you could import it, uh, and so a lot of it was imported. But also, when once and this is a big problem or a big concern, I would say problem, but one big wrinkle that the industry faces today is that when you extract cannabinoids out of the cannabis sativa plant, whether it's THC, CBD, CBG, there's hundreds of them, when you extract one of those cannabinoids, you can't really tell where it came from. So what you were buying may have been black market stuff. It may have been legally produced in a different country and imported. And as a consumer, or if you're a regulator, 
local health inspector or something, there's really no way to tell where that came from. Because one of the concerns I had, for example, if it was coming from, say, China or the Ukraine, where they have questionable growing practices or, you know, uh, pesticides or fertilizers, then, you know, they were using heavy metals. I had, rem- I had read articles and reports when people were running spectroscopies on these that there were levels of arsenic or lead. Are you familiar with that? And can you expand on that? Absolutely. And this is a, a huge thing going forward. It's uh, the blessing and the curse of the cannabis plant. People love cannabis because it's what they call a bioaccumulator. So if there's nasty stuff in the soil, it'll pick it up and, and metabolize it. Most plants won't. Uh, really? Things That's like even like, yeah, so it's really interesting. It'll pick up like uranium and all kinds of crap that other plants won't do. So it's great for the soil. Um, but then that stuff expresses in the later products you have. So uh, let's say you grew hemp on land, you're, you're a corn farmer and you're looking for, a, you're, you, you want to do everything right. You're not putting pesticides and metals on it, but it could be picking stuff up that was in the ground five, six, seven growing years ago. And then it, concentrates and expresses in the cannabis plant so you might have to physically go in and remove that stuff and you're right absent without a lot of regulation um, in different countries and different growing environments whether you have um, bad actors or not a lot of people will write off like oh there's you know these bad guys putting arsenic and lead in our pot or in our in our hemp or you know a lot of it is I think very genuine good actors who may be even growing under organic practices but you know the plant picks up what the plant picks up and you've got to really watch uh, when you uh, produce it how to get that stuff out and then what are you going to do with it so that's a big dilemma as we try to legalize cbd nationally nobody wants to put that stuff in their bodies specifically if you're sick or immunocompromised or something you don't want that nasty stuff but how do you uh, get the benefits from hemp to the soil but get rid of the nasty nasty toxins that you don't want in your body but you know what's kind of interesting is the fact that you mentioned uranium. Uranium is kind of like uh, fallout from a nuclear um, uh, site. I mean, that's actually good for the environment that there's a plant that could kind of fix Chernobyl as an example, possibly, if they planted enough um, of those plants in that area, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you mentioned Chernobyl. Actually, not to, to get into a boring ecology debate, they used hemp uh, near Chernobyl um, to get uranium out, but there's a catch. Um, so, right, we have uranium is fallout, and w- what we as humans like to do is pull up metals from the or elements from the middle of the earth, do cool things with them, uh, like make energy, and then we want them to go away, and they don't. So, uh, <laughs> right, you plant hemp around Chernobyl, and it's a miracle. It will metabolize uranium. That's cool. However, hemp doesn't live thousands of years. It'll metabolize uranium. Now you've got a field full of hemp that's full of uranium. What do you want to do with that? Um, it lives less than a year. Okay, so now let's put it, it doesn't happen. First of all, it doesn't happen in one year. This might happen. It's lightning quick in geologic time. It might take 20, 30, 40 years. But then you have, again, you have plants that are full of uranium. And then what do you want to do with them? Do you want to wear a uranium t-shirt? Do you want to take a uranium supplement? Nobody wants to do that. What do you do? You can't burn it. 
You, that was my question. You really can, can you can you burn yeah. it and just let it go into the atmosphere? In the air. That's uh, a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And if you bury it, it could back end up in the groundwater. So it's kind of an ecological pickle. It's a great plant, but it's not like going to solve all the world's problems. As long as we're pulling uranium out of the middle of the earth and you know doing combusting it, we're going to have to really come up with a solution to uh, dispose of that that doesn't make people sick, and we don't have one yet. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Now, <laughs> I'm in a legal state, uh, state of Florida, as are you. Um, you're in a recreational and medical. We're just medical. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, we're not allowed to grow hemp in the state of Florida, although the University of Florida signed the deal mm-hmm. to where they're able to grow hemp for research purposes. But um, we ta- you touched on this earlier about the difference between hemp farms and cannabis farms, cannabis, you know, having to go through the regulations. What's the difference between a hemp farm and a cannabis farm for, you know, rec- medical and recreational states? Okay. Uh, it really depends. Um, there's different things you can grow hemp for. A lot, if you're growing hemp for cannabinoids, which is like, CBD or the flower, you only want uh, females, right? You don't want any males because uh, uh, cannabinoid production broadly is a stress response by the plants. uh, The plants, uh, when they're not around uh, guys, they're not around pollen, they start to freak out and think, oh, why is no one pollinating me? And they start making these stress chemicals. One of them is CBD, one of them is THC. So if you're growing um, a CBD uh, plant, which our research indicates almost everybody growing hemp is doing, trying a CBD variety, that is grown exactly like marijuana. Same conditions, same nutrients, same life cycle. There's no telling the two apart, which is why it's hard to legalize one and not the other. But if you're growing uh, hemp for, say, fiber or hemp for uh, its grain or its seeds, like you're making granola or a food product, then that can be like taller than a house, kind of skinny and spindly. You have guys and girls in there that you could just look at and say, that's hemp, not marijuana. But most hemp being grown is being grown just like marijuana is being grown. And Florida is a fascinating place to look at this difference because uh, Florida is uh, the only place in the continental U.S., as you know, is the only place in the continental U.S. with a tropical zone. And all of the hemp varieties that we're working with, that American farmers are working with, are adapting European varieties, Canadian varieties, Chinese varieties, don't have a lot of good handle on things that will grow well in South Florida and how those are going to perform uh, in places like South Florida, Hawaii, warmer parts of the U.S. So there's a lot of work to do. It's exciting work, but it's really unclear what kind, how those states are going to um, a- end up in the in the hemp game, I guess. Wow. So this is very complicated stuff based it is, on what sorry. you're saying. It, it's kind of interesting like to hear all this because just as a – I'm just – I'm just a, a, a newbie in this and to hear all the different things that are going around and saying like, okay, this is how it's a benefit or not a benefit. What I really found interesting so far is like you can use hemp for granola. And I think of granola for like granola bars that I would let my daughter take advantage of or like granola mm-hmm. that it would be used for like maybe other like uh, cookies and whatnot. Is, is that the granola that you speak of? 
Absolutely. And again, um, there's different products you get. Out. Some of them don't have any cannabinoids of any sort. So not only could you not get high, there's not even any of these chemicals or any of these um, molecules that the plant makes. The, in the seeds, it's, it's a lot like a flax seed or a canola seed where there's healthy omega fats in it and you can't eat it because they're called some people call them hemp hearts which is where you take the kind of uh, out, outer piece and eat the soft tender insides they're really tasty you can sprinkle them on granola you can give them to your kids it's absolutely there's no cannabinoids whatsoever in those it's a different part of the plant entirely you know one of the things that i hear over and over again on uh, social media is how like this plant is like causing people to die and it, it it's like very dangerous but everything everyone i talk to that's an expert in this industry kind of disputes that myth it's interesting i've never heard anything like that on social media but kind of but that's a good point it depends who you're networked with and because this plant has been illegal or limited People really are, it's rumor, innuendo, my neighbor said, I heard from so-and-so, um, and that's not how we treat most pharmaceutical preparations. Let's say you're interested in uh, taking vitamin C or fish oil. I mean, you don't have to like take it from your neighbor on Facebook, what they said about what it's going to do, um, but we definitely are here with the cannabis plant because of making it illegal or hard to research, hard to study, hard to treat like anything else. So we've got this crazy system where people really are spreading rumors and talking on social media about uh, good or bad stuff about this plant. That's so interesting. Earlier you mentioned some uses of hemp, but can you share what, you know, the uses of, of hemp are and how it can benefit, you know, the United States and the world? Sure. You'll often hear people say you can make uh, 10,000 products with hemp or 25,000 products with hemp. I think that's baloney. You can make <laughs> infinite products with hemp because you can make plastic out of it. But you can do anything. You can, you can use it uh, in construction. You can use it in uh, heavy manufacturing. You can use it again in soft goods, consumer packaged goods, they call them, like uh, lotions, creams, and balms. Um, there's any number of things you can do. Again, but a lot of things that you can do with hemp, it's important to remember, you can do with any silage. So you'll hear people talk about hempcrete. Hempcrete is a kind of a natural preparation of concrete that you could use for home construction. So you hear a lot of people excited about hempcrete. You take the fibers, you mix it with lime, you can make uh, how, you know insulation, those kinds of products with it. Um, but you can do that also with corn silage. You could do that with other plant material There's, or wood fiber. There's nothing that has maybe hemp might have some, some, some attractive properties, but it's not, you know, something that we've never heard of in the plant world before. Um, but you're seeing a lot of interesting companies do a lot of really cool things with hemp. Um, we have clothing companies like Levi's and Patagonia. Uh, seeing this interest in hemp and talking about using more of it, more domestically grown hemp. Car manufacturers, uh, you know, are using it um, in door panels. Uh, Porsche now has a whole model car. Uh, it's a racing model, not a street model. A whole model car using hemp components. So you're seeing a lot of people are making filters for your air filters for your home um, and getting them at Home Depot. People are doing, making shoes out of this stuff. People are um, doing all kinds of cool, creative things, and it's really 
been a renaissance, a little bit of American manufacturing, a lot of interest in seeing where this stuff could go, and interest in consumers. So, so this is it myth, or was the Model T made from hemp? Not the Model T. Uh, Henry Ford did make a hemp car, um, but I, it was never the. It wasn't the Model T, and it wasn't really in uh, common production ever. Interesting. So um, I heard you mention that this could be used in a lot of ways and even make plastic. Is it possibly a future energy source, sort of like how we have gasoline and ethanol that's making a craze um, to replace like a lot of things? Is hemp possibly something that we could put into our cars to make it drive? Sure. And ethanol is the better the better uh, equivalent there. Just like that, it's a it's a plant silage that uh, you is has carbon in it and yes you can make fuel out of it um but the question just like with ethanol is you know is it is it better that does it let let off less carbon than gasoline um is it price competitive with gasoline so um certainly you can imagine a future where this hemp provides an alternative to gasoline but it's far from certain that it's going to you know solve our energy problems solve global warming because when you combust ethanol just like when you combust maybe a hemp fuel, there's a lot of carbon put off there too. So it's not really sure that that's you know going to clear the air or anything like that. But there's a lot of interest in seeing where that could go. Interesting. But before our break, um, for someone that wants to get into the hemp industry, how would they go about doing it and what would you recommend? Oh, I would recommend reading Hemp Industry Daily, of course. No. Um, there you go. No, no. <laughs> I, that was I a beautiful segue, actually. <laughs> no, no, just real quick, I would just say uh, folks are, that are interested in it, I would say do what you do. Uh, if you're a retailer, uh, look at retail opportunities. If you're a manufacturer and you, you make um, wood components or other industrial components, look at this as an opportunity. But you're seeing people kind of with no agriculture background or maybe no retail background diving in. And it's certainly not the case that all you do is snap your fingers and, and make up a hemp company and riches await. Interesting. And since you mentioned Hemp Industry Daily, please give us uh, your contact information, how someone would be able to get a hold of you and gain and you know glean some of your knowledge and experience and you know tap into what you offer. Yeah, sure. Well, all of our content's free. You can just go to Hemp Industry Daily. That's all one word, hempindustrydaily.com. We do kind of a B2B news, so like uh, industry news about what's going on in Washington and, and cool things that entrepreneurs are doing and ways people are finding to make money in this market and what the challenges are. That's cool. Perfect. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, I'm learning more and more about this industry every time I – have a chance to uh, be here with Dr. Rosado and the interesting people that share their knowledge. Thank you for doing that. I know we're coming close to our, our break. So Dr. Rosado, do you want to lead us into the break? Absolutely. You've been listening to Maddie Canna Talk with Dr. Joseph Rosado at Pisani and our guest today, Kristen Nichols. We'll be with you shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Dr. Joseph Rosado was the first medical professional to recommend medical cannabis treatment in the greater Central Florida region. He has since become a sought-after medical cannabis expert in Florida and abroad. Learn his story and find out more about Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo, as well as through the website josephrosadomd.com. You can also schedule an individual or group consulting session with Dr. Rosado. That's josephrosadomd.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Medicana Talk. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to info at josephrosadomd.com. Now, back to Medicana Talk. Welcome back. This is Dr. Joseph Rosado with Medicana Talk accompanied by Ed Pisani Jr. from I4 Advertising and our special guest, Kristen Nichols, with, from Hemp Industry Daily. Hemp Hello. Industry Daily? Hello. <laughs> sorry. I get in the zone and I forget that I have a guest. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. It's the ego and arrogance of a physician. <laughs> anyway, uh, Hemp Industry Daily brings all of the latest business-to-business or B2B industry news, trends and stories that are critical to the development and commercial applications of hemp in the United States as well as abroad. Where they're looking for information on business opportunities, production and processing best practices, or the status of legal or policy changes, professionals in all aspects of hemp industry can gain the insight and information they need to stay competitive and grow their businesses. Is this accurate, Kristen? Of course. (laughs) What else would you add to that? You know, it's just a good place to kind of see what you don't know. I know that sounds uh, cheesy, but like um, this is such an interesting field anywhere in cannabis because there are so many obstacles that don't exist for other businesses, things that could affect you that you never saw coming. Um, so it's a great place to uh, check in and see what's happening with your colleague, uh, colleagues all across the country, all across the world. Um, for example, um, there might be a, a bug or a mildew that's, hitting hemp uh, somewhere that might have a climate similar to yours that you never heard of. Uh, so it's a great place to kind of find out what maybe are your future problems, not that you don't have them already. That's cool. That's really cool. So <laughs> um, what are some of the regulations that are coming about in the hemp industry? Because I'm not um, an expert. I'm the furthest thing from an expert, but um, you sound like you know what you're talking about. And Dr. Rosado knows what he's talking about. Could you let me know about some of those? Okay. Uh, yeah, and I want to hear what Dr. Rosado uh, sees coming. This is a fascinating time right now. Uh, the United States Department of Agriculture is supposed to tell farmers next month in August, supposed to tell 
farmers, what they can expect uh, to how to grow hemp. What, what the industry really is looking for here is they don't want it to say, okay, here's how you grow hemp in Florida, and here's how you grow hemp in Georgia, and here's what you have to do, the forms you have to fill out in Alabama. What they want is, same as corn, wheat, and soybeans, they want a national standard. They want access to reliable, healthy seeds that are going to germinate. They want the USDA to say, here's what you do, here's how you make money, and it's easy peasy no matter where you go. Um, and that's going to be coming out next month. At the same time, and this is uh, where I want your thoughts, doctor, at the same time, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is looking at you know what, what people do with the CBD they extract from this plant and how that can be used. They are going to Congress soon. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them to hurry up and tell us how we can use CBD because there's, like we pointed out earlier, there's a lot of market opportunity um, and a lot of pressure. You have members of the Senate. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, we had 36 state attorneys general. That's most of the AGs in the whole country writing to the FDA saying, get a move on. We need to know what these rules are. Um, the science doesn't necessarily always move as fast as you want it. So it's hard to say how long it's going to take to see this stuff. So I'm interested in your perspective, doctor. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I've been doing a lot of work in South America uh, because I've been invited to speak not only nationally, but internationally. And I've been in Canada um, where They've been legal since 2000, and uh, in Colombia, that seems to be the new mecca for cannabis because of the climate, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, and um, the ability for it to grow because it, on average it has 12 hours of sunlight, so it makes it very easy to grow cannabis there. And they're looking at exporting cannabis from Colombia to you know, all countries throughout the world. Now, as far as the FDA goes, just yesterday, I believe, um, the FDA accused one of the largest cannabis companies in the United States of selling unapproved products online containing CBD with unsubstantiated medical claims that the company's products treated cancer, Alzheimer's disease, opioid withdrawal, which, you know, there's a big opiate epidemic, pain, um, pet anxiety, among multiple conditions. And so... As a physician, it's important that, you know, things are somewhat regulated and claims are not made that are not substantiated and that can only happen with research. And because it had been under the Controlled Substance Act and it being a Schedule One, we could not do any clinical trials or any research. So I'm proud of the fact that the University of Florida has partnered with a local company to be able to grow hemp and be able to research it properly and correctly and then have the proper basis to be able to say, okay, it works for this, that, and the other, and is not considered a snake oil. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that's interesting you brought up the University of Florida. So just uh, recently, the FDA, you know, they asked the public, tell us what you think about CBD. And there was a really interesting letter from the University of California uh, system basically complaining and this affects the whole cannabis industry that says we have a hard time researching real world pot 
I, we have to, we either have to import stuff from other countries or we are getting stuff from the University of Mississippi, which is probably not the same as what people are really using. So there's a lot of interest um, in more research of what's really being sold on the market today. You're seeing universities really line up trying to say, we want to research what people are really using and, and putting in their bodies here. What does it do? At the same time, we're seeing an increase in these new CBD companies saying, you know what, we'll go ahead and put up the money. We realize cannabis companies like the one that the FDA wrote to this week, they realize we got we really want to be on the right side of all this. We don't want to make unsubstantiated claims and give people snake oil because there's a real risk to the whole industry that people just think it's all bonk and stop using it, right? Uh, It's an interesting combination where you have private industry and uh, the nation's colleges and universities really coming together to push the FDA and say, we got to move on this research. It's got to be tomorrow. In the meantime, let's let's tell people how to make this stuff as safely as we think we can make it. But the market's gone and people really are taking the stuff and we need to make sure that they're taking the right stuff and not making themselves sicker. Now, something that is a challenge, especially that I hear from my patients, is when they go online to purchase some of these CBD products or they go to their local health food store or whatever, and they're finding that a bottle costs anywhere between $120 all the way up to $300. And you know, there's, there seems to be some price gouging. Now, how can the farmers know what the prices are for them to be able to sell their products so that way you know everybody wins and it's not going to be this you know dog eat dog world and get rich quick you know multi-level marketing which i've also seen there's some you know pyramid multi-level marketing cbd companies that are promoting and pushing their their wares Mm -hmm. So, so what do you have to say about that situation Oh, it's interesting. Uh, by the way, a lot of people did write to the FDA asking them to make CBD cheaper, which is kind of funny and not really what the FDA uh, is in a position to do. It, I think the American consumer is has a tough choice to make. There's a lot of attraction to CBD because it's seen as close to the earth, close to the farmer, more natural uh, than a, a kind of a lab pharmaceutical preparation uh, of a treatment. Uh, at the same time, though, um, you're right. You want something that you uh, take to make you feel, but you want it to cost what a bottle of Advil costs, although you don't want it to be produced like Advil. You want it to be you know, close to the farm and help your neighbor and help the environment and uh, help the American farmer. Uh, but there's a, there's a price to pay, and it's like unclear what the market will bear. Um, you talked about something that you're hearing from your patients, and that is the number one question I keep getting from um, people in my life, my you know, friends and family, is say, what's the good stuff? You know, I don't know what to take. What's the good stuff, and how much do I take it? Yeah, this stuff costs, like you said, $300 a bottle. Is that crap? Is this price gouging? It's hard to say because it's unregulated. It's hard to know what's in the bottle uh, unless you kind of have a little lab in the backyard there to do your own kind of analysis or you're a physician. It's really hard for consumers to say what's the good stuff, what, are the, what is too much to pay for this, um, and, or on the other hand, if it's really cheap, uh, should I be concerned that maybe this was, you know, this is synthetic made in a lab or, or has these heavy metals and pesticides that I don't want? Right now, it's all buyer beware. It's a really tough place for people to be. So I have a question for you. 
Um, what if like there's like someone that's on a limited income that would be looking at it saying, hey, is it possible if I just grow some cannabis in my backyard so I can just get it direct and I know it's coming out of uh, my efforts and my hard work? Is, do you see that as being even a possibility in the future? Well, sure. That's People are using marijuana that way and always have. It's important to remember people were using marijuana this way even when it was illegal. Uh, so certainly people are using um, uh, hemp this way and will continue to. Now, I would say extraction, of, if you want to isolate the CBD or ice, take the cannabinoids out of the flower and decarboxylate them so that they are active in your body, that's a little, uh, get, gets a little kind of tough for a most a home gardener to do or a home cook to do. Um, but I think that's, you bring up an important point, which is what's the future potential? And I think that it could be great for people to buy extracted isolates and distillates from the store and then you could cook it your host, yourself at home or, or take it how you want to take it without necessarily growing the plant yourself, harvesting it yourself and doing a hydrocarbon extraction in the basement, which is tough to do and a little dangerous. Yeah, I don't even know what a hydrocarbon extraction is. It sounds like something yeah, exactly. star, uh, yeah, like Star yeah. Wars or something. Yeah, it's a little dangerous if you're at home, <laughs> you know. That's interesting, though. Thank you for sharing that answer. Like this, I think it's helpful. Now, this is a you know an art, a science, and a philosophy. You know, that's what I, I tell patients: medicine is an art, a science, and a philosophy. You know, the the, the science is you know you have X Y Z symptoms, and based on the literature, this is what I'm supposed to give you to manage those symptoms or these conditions or this disease. And then once we start, you know, prescribing the patient then comes in and the art comes into, okay, what works, what doesn't work, what's working, and then tweak and, and moderate or add different things. Being that the cannabis industry really is, in the United States, really began in 1996 of late, you know, when it became legal in California, there's, you know, a lot of variance and variability region to region. So how do you and how does your company, Hemp Industry Daily, um, educate individuals with, you know, the numbers to support the farmers on, you know, what to grow, how much to grow, how much uh, property they need or acreage, et cetera? You bring up the million dollar question, and that's what we try to answer every day, which is we don't have basic agronomic data about, let's say you want to grow hemp. How much should you grow? What can you get from an acre of hemp? How much CBD could you get? Let's say you want to grow in the backyard and make your own. How much? How many plants do you need to grow? That kind of information is still being spread on the internet. You have to go to skeezy looking blogs or just know someone that can help you. Um, whereas let's say if you wanted to start growing uh, peaches or cotton, you would just call your extension agent and there's books and books of data about how to get started, how much you need, where to get the seeds, all that kind of good stuff. So we are very much at the beginning of this pioneering experiment. And I hate to say it, but it's going to take a few years before that information is broadly available. I think it's going to come from the feds and it's going to come from USDA and that's exciting to see, but everybody knows that's not going to happen tomorrow. Interesting. It's good to know that because like, I'm always kind of curious. I'm an entrepreneur by nature, and uh, I, I learned a new word, agroeconomics, um, and I didn't even know that existed. But it, it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, thank you, thank you for sharing that. 
So of the 50 U.S. states and multiple territories, what are the top 10 hemp states by acreage licensed uh, as of 2018? Okay, hard to say because a lot of states don't, don't only issue licenses once a year, but some of the top producers, um, again, we're going to go by acreage, not the number of folks because uh, some have the biggest big farms and it's just one or two guys. Some of the big, big producers, uh, Montana, um, which uh, interestingly is the, now the biggest uh, hemp producing state by acreage right across the border in Montana are the prairie provinces of Canada, which is kind of the hemp basket of Canada. As we've talked earlier, Canada has allowed hemp production for a lot longer than we have. There's a lot of very smart hemp producers up there who've been growing seeds and fiber for a long, long time. Um, other big producers, again, back to kind of the upper Midwest, you know, North Dakota, though that's canola country. And then, of course, uh, the tobacco belt are really making big plays and trying to invest in this industry you're seeing Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, of course, uh, really, really plowing some big money, again, looking for a replacement to lost tobacco crops. In your state of Florida, doctor, um, as you know, there's a ton of concern about the citrus industry and some natural pests that they've had to deal with and low commodity prices there. So folks are looking to opportunities. Florida is still really not on the map as a big producer, but it could be. We'll see. And, And then some of the biggest hemp states that I think will start to fall off the map, really, honestly, places like Colorado and Oregon, that are right now right at the top of hemp producers. And the reason is, is because the states have allowed it to flourish where other states were more hesitant. Uh, but um, Colorado is certainly not a big producer of other commodity row crops. Oregon does produce a lot of grapes and, and stuff like that. Um, so Oregon might, uh, and the climate is better, I think, for hemp there. So I say keep your eyes on Oregon. Another big place to keep your eyes on, but it's unclear what's going to happen, is I call it the Wild West Coast. Um, so Washington State, a lot of people know, is kind of the uh, cannabis pioneer. California, big cannabis pioneer. Both of those don't really have hemp industries off the ground yet. Um, the climates are really well suited to, to hemp production, but there's a lot of concern that uh, it could cross-pollinate with marijuana and hurt the marijuana industry. No one really knows where it's going to go. So the West Coast is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, and I think, you know, fast forward 100 years, where it settles out is probably where most of our uh, things we put in our mouth come from. Uh, rural states with uh, kind of big ag operators and uh Latin America and other places that grow produce, we we have low labor costs, low land costs, low taxes and overhead. So how about the plain states like Iowa, Idaho, you know, with the potatoes and everything? What what are your thoughts on, on those states? Oh, they could be they could be uh, big producers too. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Idaho because you know uh, they are an interesting state to watch. They they are one of the few hemp holdouts. They are not going to allow hemp until the USDA makes them, so they still have no hemp there. Um, and they're if you say you grow hemp in Oregon, you want to ship it to Colorado to do something with it. And you drive through Idaho and you get pulled over. You could be charged with a crime. There's a case right now that's waiting uh, federal judges to say. It, it, can, can a state say, oh, we don't allow this stuff yet, so it's, it's a crime, and they, can they take it? That's not clear. So it's, I think those, the, the, the plain states, the Iowas, Nebraskas, Indianas, Idahos, uh, certainly could be big producers, and they produce a lot of other stuff, and they know what, how to grow things at scale. 
it's really a question of political expediency and when you're going to see uh, state politicians come around to it. And as the industry matures and becomes a national commodity, what do you see the benefits to be, again, for our citizens as well as our economy? It's hard to say, you know, where this fits in the overall landscape of agriculture and the economy. That hemp certainly is the most exciting new opportunity uh, for agriculture in a generation. You're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs uh, that aren't, you know, don't have, you know, MBAs and long backgrounds uh, in established business really starting to make some money because they're risk takers and willing to try this new crop or try this new market and put up with all the headaches that come along with it. But we are on the very cusp of seeing big business uh, and, play, and big insurance companies, big law firms, all the kind of uh, big banks really start to take a new look at this and incorporate it into their larger portfolios. There's been a big trend over the last year of uh, companies like Kellogg and Procter and & Gamble and kind of the people that put the things in the grocery store that you see every day starting to turn their attention to cannabis products and where that fits in. It's going to be interesting to watch. Does this become just another thing you buy in the grocery store like laundry detergent or does it change the American economy? I think it's far too soon to say. Now, interesting that you mentioned banks. The F in FDIC is federal. With this mm -hmm. being considered a gray area, if someone, because I know the cannabis industry or the medical marijuana industry, banks are completely against handling and managing those, those monies. How are the banks in relation to the hemp industry? I would say, uh, hard to say. No, they're, they're watching uh, with some skepticism. I would say banks, it's not that banks don't want to take marijuana money. What banks don't want is the headache of filing FinCEN reports and dealing with all the headaches that come along with uh, working with a, a volatile industry like this from the federal government's perspective. If you're a big bank, you've got a lot of other you know things to worry about besides what is really ultimately not a huge industry, which is cannabis. Why would you endanger your global huge uh, line of trade for serving one industry that's probably about the size of the American beer industry or, you know, um, buttons or some other kind of specialty niche product. Hemp producers, hemp should be banked just like any other crop. You shouldn't endanger your other crop insurance or any other programs you get. But banks are still kind of sometimes being slow about it because they don't know where the feds are on CBD and they don't want to find themselves in trouble for, uh, doing merchant services or credit card processing or loaning money to CBD companies. And then the FDA comes out and says, hey, these guys are all drug dealers and criminals can't do it. And you bank, we're going to go after for helping them out. So I think uh, you're seeing some natural skepticism from banking institutions, not necessarily because they oppose pot or don't like it. It's more like they need the clarity from the federal government to say, okay, you guys are clear to do this. They're getting those signals. But it's taken some time. Do you envision there might be like a uh, first cannabis style bank open up that says, hey, there's a market opportunity because everyone else is afraid? Um, 
Start yes, out. it's happening now. Several states, including Colorado and California, have tried to set up uh, credit unions to serve the cannabis industry. Those have failed for long and complicated banking reasons uh, that I won't bore you with. Um, but what's interesting is we're seeing we're seeing lots of banks serve the cannabis industry, and it is lots and lots and lots of banks are doing it. Hundreds of banks are doing it. But these are generally small, small banks, local banks that you probably never heard of outside a single county or region of a state. And they are charging enormous fees to the cannabis entrepreneurs. Uh, cannabis entrepreneurs do not want to pay those high fees. They'd rather go to uh, get an easy bank account in a national uh, bank just like any, anybody else does. So they don't like paying these high fees, but it's turned into a real, uh, speaking of like a land grab or a money grab, it's turned into a real money grab for some small struggling banks that will, you know, quietly go to uh, cannabis producers in their area and be like, hey, we'll, we'll get you an account. Um, and you're going to pay these like ridiculous, you know, 25% fees and fees you would never pay for if you were, you know, making socks or anything else. So it's almost like the predatory lending of the folks that need a payday loan and they have extremely high interest to get the money they need right away. Absolutely. So those products are available. What the cannabis industry needs is they want them to be more broadly available and they want to get a level playing field with other uh, mainstream businesses. And they're not there yet. And I think there there's an increasing awareness that, that this industry is always going to be held back until they get that kind of access to banking services. Um, so you're seeing just uh, recently Congress talked about a proposal to allow banking or to allow banking for even illegal cannabis, but it, it's going to take some time. Interesting. And do you, do you foresee any federal subsidizing to the farmers that grow hemp? Yep. One day. It's going to take a long time. Um, uh, American agriculture and the government are, you know, closely entwined. You're going to see this play out in lots of different, lots of commodity support programs. Most of the farm bill is not about hemp and not about cannabis. Most of it is about those kinds of price supports. Um, one interesting thing to watch is going to be crop insurance. One thing hemp farmers really wanted and cannabis producers really want that's really attractive about hemp is that they could get crop insurance for it, which they you cannot if you're growing illegal marijuana, right? What the interesting thing though about how crop insurance works is really crop insurance is a little bit like health insurance. The federal government subsidizes private insurers to offer it because otherwise no one would offer it. You would not sell insurance policies about for corn or wheat or anything else if you didn't have government money to back you up because it's kind of a stupid bet to take. You're going to insure, say, orange producers in Florida, and then uh, there's a late freeze and that they're all lost and you go out of business as an insurance company, except for you have that federal support. So this is going to be an option for hemp producers. But it's not easy peasy like everybody wants it to be. Crop insurance is complicated. There's a lot of crops that are considered uninsurable, not just cannabis. Of course, there's lots of different things that are considered uninsurable crops. Um, there's a different pool for that. And also another thing that any insurance company is going to want to see before they're going to write a policy for a crop, they're going to want to see what we talked about earlier. They're going to want to see yield data 
what should you get from an acre? How much should you make from an acre of this crop? And until they have three to five years of that, they're not going to write a policy for it. So it's definitely down the road and then in, well down the line for an average farmer to be able to access crop insurance. But the good thing that takes effect right away is that if you are a traditional farmer, you have chickens and pigs and all kinds of other things, and now you want to add hemp, um, you're not going to endanger the rest of your crop insurance by growing hemp, which you would have before. So definitely progress, but definitely uh, not as easy as some would like it to be. Cool. So let's say you have a crystal ball. In your crystal ball, what do you foresee the future of hemp CBD for medical and industrial purposes? I think it play, it kind of settles into a natural uh, natural product similar to like an echinacea or a, a, you know St. John's wort or lots of other things that are available to folks. I, I really would be surprised to see it revolutionize uh, medicine to the to the tune that some hope it will. I, I do uh, a lot of uh, physicians that I've talked to about cannabis over the decades will tell you, you know, we have known about this plant for thousands of years and been using it medicinally for thousands and thousands of years. Um, so does it have uh, medical potential? Absolutely. But the drug war didn't start thousands and thousands of years ago. We really do have a lot more expertise than we give ourselves credit for with this plant. I think it's going to be a part of the healthy economy, part of medicine, part of agriculture, uh, but but will life be totally different 100 years from now because of hemp and cannabis? I really don't think so. I think it's an interesting opportunity, but it probably gets more attention right now than it deserves because of people like me who talk to talk about it all the time. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us today. And before we log off and sign off, uh, could you please give us your contact information again and how people can reach out to you and you know, what services you, you love and are passionate about providing. Absolutely. Well, Hemp Industry Daily, again, we're a free website. We have lots of content information on there. We do uh, conferences and things like that. Um, you can email, find my email there. Um, but I do warn you, um, if you email a reporter and uh, you – Believe me, I will hit you up. So be careful what you ask for. I'm always looking uh, for people that are experimenting in hemp, using hemp. Uh, we like to find out what's really going on. And you don't get that, you know, if you only talk to the officials. you got to talk to people that are really on the ground. So please interact and come to hempindustrydaily.com or, or visit us at one of our shows and tell us what's going on in your life and in your business. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, Kristen. Kristen Nichols with Hemp Industry Daily. Our website, hempindustrydaily.com. And if you have any questions for me, you can reach me at info at josephrosadomd.com. That's info at josephrosado, R-O-S-A-D as in David O, M-D.com. Thank you for your time. Amazing information. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Medicana Talk. Please join Dr. Joe Rosado for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you'd like to learn more about medical cannabis, we invite you to go to Amazon.com to purchase Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Have a great week.